0: This is our last one in Truth For Thinkers, which is, some of you love the Truth For Thinker stuff, but some of you are gonna love getting back into Romans, which I'm really excited to do. We finished chapter nine, we're gonna get into chapter 10 of Romans and keep going in the book of Romans, uh, which is what we normally do here is go through books of the Bible, we study them, and then from time to time, we break off and do these little series. This is the fourth time in eight years or so that I've done a series for the kind of skeptics, and so that's what we did this week. And so if you, type that number into your phone and text a question, I will do my best to answer Now, I won't be able to get to every step, everyone's questions. I actually have a bunch of questions from ones of these that I've done before that I will use if we don't get enough questions. Um, but it's up to you to bring the questions that you have. The primary one, of course, would be questions about this series that we've been in. So, we did a, uh, a sermon on how do we know uh, epistemology, knowledge, how do we understand things, how do we know things. We talked about uh, things like postmodernism and so on. Then, we did one on meta modernism and the coming persecution, which was about sort of the philosophy of the age and what's wrong with it. Uh, we did one that we called No Lukewarm Children. I talked about the tendency of uh, Christ followers in uh, situations like ours where we are relatively wealthy and so on to become lukewarm. So we had that one. Talked about no syncretism in friendship with God, which is talking about not syncretizing things in the world with uh, our faith and instead keeping what's in the scripture in the scripture. And then we did uh, two on trusting scripture. So we did two sermons on why we can believe the scripture, why it's reliable, why it's true. And so ask questions about any of that. But this is an AMA, ask me anything. So you can ask anything you want. And if it uh, is something that is uh, worth doing, we will. We will, well, if, it's, if I can get to it, we'll get to it. So it's not whether it's worth doing, and I'm sure they're all worth doing. Uh, but that's what we do on um, these Ask Me Anythings. I, I usually will do this, especially with skeptics, but generally when I end a series, I will try to do one of these Sundays. I never got to argue in front of the Supreme Court, so I just kind of pretend like that's what I'm doing. Like you hit me with the questions, and I'm like, Your Honor, this is what I think, and so on. So that's, uh, it's a good time for me, and I just realized that I'm gonna be getting these things on my watch all day, and I don't want that they will come back there to Patrick and he will throw them up here for me. So let's pray as we get started. Father, I just pray that you would bring to the hearts of those and the minds of those who you want to ask questions. They have questions they need to answer, whether it's about this stuff, whether it's about something else in your word. Um, they would ask those questions, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would empower me and give me the wisdom to answer the questions in a way that draws us all closer to you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We ask that you would just protect us spiritually and physically forgive our sins. Let us be right before you. Let us have the life in you that you have promised us and that we desperately desire to look forward to the hope we have in you and to live a life already seated in the heavenly place that's being pulled by our future in you. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. So they should start rolling in here. Um, Okay, I don't know what that one means. Let's, let's start with this one. I got this one a while back. Uh, it says, on the book wall of the church, and some of you have seen it. We used to have a wall with the books facing you, and now we have kind of a shelf with the books, which is smaller because we tore down the wall, and so it's not there anymore. So I don't have that, but you still have the books out there. It says, it is the seminal work of John Calvin. Someone I know saw this and was wondering if the church was promoting the five points of Calvinism, specifically things, and they go through the five points of Calvinism, um, and they wanted me to clarify the official church stance on Calvinism and why that book is on the wall. So let me clarify uh, what my stance is on on Calvinism, and that is, yeah, sometimes, you know, some of it, yes, some of it, not so much, um, but let's, let's talk about the books on the wall for a second so you understand well, alongside the seminal work of John Calvin, we have the works of people like John Wesley and George Fox, uh, C.S. Lewis, and all who had different views about Calvinism mostly deals with the sovereignty of God. A lot of the stuff we did in Romans 9, and so they have some very specific views on that. I don't have time to go into all the five points of Calvinism and where we've talked about them. Here, we've talked about the five points of Calvinism, the five points of Arminianism, and so on. Um, the, the books, the idea of the books is that the books that are out there are books that are written by Christ followers that will help expand your understanding of the scripture and who God is. It, they do not mean that we agree with everything written in every one of those books. There's one book on the wall. We agree with everything that's written on, in it. It's this one. Okay, This is the only one. Anything else is going to have problems in it, unless I write it. Then it's good to go. No. Even when I write it. There's one book we agree with, and we agree with every one of those books where they agree with this. Okay, And so uh, Calvin had some ideas. I generally, I'll just tell you as a sort of a thing, if you want to understand me and the way I think about Scripture and the way I think about theology. It is very rare that you will find... A person's name connected to a theology, whether that's Lutheranism or Wesleyanism or Calvinism or, you know, all these isms, that I would say, yep, that's me. I'm more of a Jesusism person. And so I, I will probably think that any one of those things that people who love Jesus and they believe and they've, and they've come to those things on secondary issues, I'm generally going to find some things that I agree with and some things that I might either disagree with or state differently. As it comes to Calvinism, I would say there are some things I agree with and some things that I would disagree with or state differently, which I would say the same thing about Arminianism, which has almost opposite views from Calvinism. There's some things I agree with. There's some things I disagree with or would state differently. And so if you really want to know what I think about those particular things, certainly we can have that conversation. You buy the coffee um, and we'll do that. But as far as the official church stance, we have our official church stance. We have it on the website. It says what we believe, but all the essentials. Okay. But it also uses an old phrase, and we're not exactly sure who came up with this. Some have have thought it was Augustine, but it says in essentials, unity. Okay. That means the things that are essential to the faith, we need to be unified. There is no divergence. Okay. But in non-essentials, liberty. So things that are not essential to who God is, to faith, so on, that's kind of the creedal truths. That Jesus Christ is the son of God, born of a virgin, that he died, that he rose again, that we have salvation by faith through grace. Those kinds of things, those are essentials. But then whether or not uh, baptism should work this way or that way, or whether or not uh, God foresees this way or he foresees that way, those are called non-essentials. And in those we, call, we say liberty. You can have different beliefs about that and be a brother or sister in this church and we can get along. Okay? And in all things, the last part of it, in all things, charity or love. So, we're gonna love you regardless of what you believe. If you're off on essentials, we're gonna bring you back in on essentials. That's something that we have to agree on or else you're just not a Christian. Those are the things that, that are between being a Christian, and not being a Christian. But in the non-essentials, you have some leeway. We have, we have brothers and sisters in the church who believe lots of, uh, on, on different parts of the spectrum, on different issues theologically, and that's okay. Uh, if you wanna know which one is correct, just ask me. That's whichever one I believe. So, that's that. Um, what's the best way to approach people who were in church all their lives seeming Christ followers and now in the past five years or so I've totally stopped even attending church what's the best way to approach them that's a good question um, the way I would generally approach anyone when you're trying to build a relationship and, and draw somebody towards truth is I would ask them questions the questions I would ask somebody who was on fire Christ follower, who then now doesn't even go to church is why, right? What's happened in your life that has caused you to go that way? And there are a number of answers you might get to that. Some people will say, Hey, something happened in that church and I was hurt. And so I don't trust the church anymore. And so I'm, I still think of myself as a Christ follower, but I'm kind of doing it at home and whatever. And to that person, I would encourage them that because some people messed up does not mean that Christ's church is bad, because Christ's church is not bad. Finding the church that you're called to, operating within that, and then having forbearance for people, because people, like me, I will fail you, Jesus will not. But the church is about Jesus, it's not about me. And so helping that person come back. Some people will say, I don't believe it anymore, in which case that's where you go to kind of some of the, kind of the skeptic stuff that we've done and so on, and you try to figure out what's that about, and how do you help bring that person back into unity on the essentials, and draw them back to church. But whatever it is, you need to find out what, has, what is driving them to no longer do what Christ followers for 2,000 years have done, which is faithfully attend a, a, a church, a local expression of the body of Christ, and be part of that body, because that's what Christ followers do. So if someone's not doing it, they're not acting like, they're not, they're not consistent with what Christ followers have always done, and so how do you bring them back there? we well, have got to find out what got them out. And then you've got to kind of backtrack your way and how to get them back in. But approaching them in love and understanding is a big part of that. There are people who have been horribly, horribly hurt by people in churches. That's a reality. And so if that's the case, you need to have some patience and some grace as you try to help draw them back. That's, that would be my answer to that question. Um, good morning, David. Well, good morning. I don't know who said that. I am wondering what you, as a Christian, could tell another Christian when they appear to be lukewarm for the Lord. No one wants to be a jerk. I've met some people who want to be a jerk. Um, But we are called to be on fire for the Lord at all times. Is there scripture that speaks to this specifically? Uh, Yeah, yeah, there is um, scripture that speaks to this specifically. Uh, There are scriptures that talk about when someone is is going the wrong way, okay? Is, Is going away from the Lord, that the one who brings them back right, has, has saved their soul, has, has kept them, has covered a multitude of sin, right? And so if there's a person who says, I'm a Christ follower, but everything about their walk is lukewarm, you don't have to be a jerk to once again start asking questions. Hey, why have you decided, in the case of the first one we're talking about, that you're not going to attend church very often or very faithfully? Why aren't you volunteering and, and giving of your time like a normal person within the body of Christ who's using their gifts would do? Why aren't you giving and tithing faithfully to church? Why are you know, these things that, that look like, hey, we're moving towards lukewarmness? Why are you choosing to, to, to kind of walk into sin in this way or that way? Why, are you, why is your life looking like the rest of the world? Ask them questions that, that bring that sort of out. Get the answers. And what you'll find for a Christ follower is they're, they're, the Holy Spirit is in them. So their conscience is gonna testify against them. <laughs> on those things. And so you don't have to be the judge and the executioner. You can come and ask them the kind of questions that the Holy Spirit then uses you to help prick their heart and draw them back. But I absolutely think that you have a, not, not, is it okay? You have a duty and obligation with people who are claiming to be Christ followers, who are, or are becoming lukewarm because we, Jesus has told us what he wants to with lukewarm, spit them out of his mouth right? That's, that's not the call of a Christ follower. Be in, be out, but don't be lukewarm. But don't be out either. Be in. How about just be in, okay? And so helping people to grow. But I will tell you, there are seasons of your walk with Christ, which is to say, when you are first in Christ, I, I don't go to somebody who comes, either comes back to church who's been out, or someone who's an unbeliever who, who came to the Lord, and start going, okay, let's do the checklist of sin in your life. Let's make sure we're getting rid of this, right? The Lord draws a person and matures a person over time. So what you're looking for is to see the work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. It's when you're not seeing that. It's when you see them starting to sort of fade on the vine. They're not not fruitful. You don't see any fruitfulness. That's when you need to go in and check. If you see fruitfulness, then encourage. Encourage that fruitfulness. And, And a lot of those things will take care of themselves as they mature in the Lord. It's when you see that they're not fruitful right? That's when you need to go in and say, okay, how can I help here? How can I help here? All right. Uh, Why is Patrick so awesome? You know, made in the image and likeness of God. He's just like the rest of you. Uh, It's an awesome thing that God has made us the way he has. and, And I think we all love Patrick and think that about him. So yeah. What's that? I think that came from Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be my guess. It doesn't say who it came from, but I'm going to guess it came from Patrick. And and we do think that. Uh, What if you want to follow God but keep committing the same sin? Uh, Boy, how about the story of most people's lives at some point where there's a sin struggle that that was really difficult to overcome? Uh, Whether that's addiction, uh, usually it's going to be an addiction type sin, uh, or it's not something you're going to continue to do. Uh, But my answer for that is uh, you've got to learn to hate it. You generally don't do things you hate. And so you have to learn to hate it like God hates it. You have to start to ask God to let you see the sin as he sees it. And when that happens, it's it's actually a pretty painful experience because it shows you the depravity of our lives when we do that. I've had to do this and God's had to show it to me. It's painful. But when that happens and you truly allow yourself to see it with God's eyes, you will start to hate that thing. And you will get to the point where there's there are certain things that I would rather die than have come into my life as sin things. And that's where you get, and that's part of maturing in the Lord. Um, of course, you can be a Christ follower and, and have this sin that, but you need to be fighting it. It's when you don't fight it. That's when, that's when the problems come. That's when you start really fading out onto that wide road outside of fruitfulness is when you have a sin, you go, I'm not even gonna bother. I'm not gonna fight it. Just, let's just do that thing. And frankly, we all get there sometimes too. Uh, And as part of the walk in Christ, you gotta recognize it, you gotta keep fighting, you gotta get yourself to hate that sin. There are things in my life that I wanna be like that about, um, and there are things in your life that you probably need to be that way about, and that's part of growing in the Lord. Um, I grew up in a native heritage. My heritage gives to the Creator not known as Jesus or God by name. Their beliefs are not too far off from Christianity but lack the name of Jesus doesn't mention Jesus sacrifice, but they worship the Creator. Could I actively be a Christian and still practice some of my native heritage? That's a great question. That's one of the best questions I've heard in a long time. Uh, so here it depends, okay, um, of native uh different native peoples, there are different uh there are different uh heritages or there are different ways of worship. Some actually are quite close to Christianity. In fact, there's some evidence, I think, that um, some even are really close to Christianity, um, that God revealed himself in ways to people um, prior to the gospel directly coming. Um, but it depends on, on your, your people group and what they do. And the answer is pretty simple. If you're worshiping God, you're worshiping God. If you're with people who are not worshiping God and doing what they're doing, they're Assumption is that you're doing what they're doing, right? right. And so, if there's a, um, it's it's like saying, can I go to the Mormon church? And as long as I'm singing to Jesus, the real Jesus, not the Jesus of the Book of Mormon, then is it okay? And my answer would be probably not, probably not, because the other Mormons who are there, you're you're encouraging them to continue to believe that not only do they believe, but that you believe that they're correct about what they believe. So it would depend, I guess, on how much evangelism is involved. I'm assuming we're talking about going to a ceremony, going to a a corporate worship gathering with, say, uh, a native tribe. But this isn't just native. This could be anything, right? This could be anything where there's some form of worship that's happening that is not directed to God. And so I would think my, my thing would be Paul in Acts 17, right? So let's just go there really quick. There's Bibles in front if you want to look at them, and you can take one of those home if you don't have one at home. Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after the uh, Gospels. And so if we go to Acts 17, we'll see Paul. And what Paul's going to be doing here to give you an, an idea how it relates to this is he's going to a place where there's a lot of worship, a whole lot of worship, not of Jesus, though. Okay, of these different idols, of these different things. And Paul is, he's, he's approaching them. And what he's doing is instead of enjoining joining in and being like, okay, but I'll do this, but really I'm giving the words to Jesus, he, he instead brings, brings the gospel message. And this is how he does it, with them, okay? This is Acts 17. He addresses the Areopagus, starting in verse 22. So then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are very religious. We have the same thing in this question, right? Hey, you're you're worshiping the creator, you're worshiping God. I get it. In all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now, in, in the case of the Greeks at this time, I think that this, it was kind of a catch all for them, right? Like if we missed anybody, don't get mad at us. We got this one for you. That was kind of their idea, but at the same time, it's the idea of, hey, we're worshiping God, but we, but we don't necessarily know exactly who he is, which is what I would say here. If you don't know Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, you don't know all that there is to know. There's good news for a person who wants to worship God that Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, died and rose again. So says so to the end of God, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. That's what I would say would be the duty of a person from a native heritage who, who is going to, say, uh, to interact with their tribe, their, their people, who have a God worship or a creator worship, it would be, hey, let me, we're here worshiping God, but let me declare to you more clearly who he is. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Which almost certainly... The, the peoples that we're talking about here would agree. They would agree with all those statements and as did the Athenians. So you're finding, a, you're finding this place where the two of you have common ground. The person that you're talking to and you both believe all these things about God. Okay. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Again, I think that that's something everyone can understand and get. Like, yes, we're trying to worship the creator. We're trying to understand who he is. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring. So now Paul is actually quoting to them, the Greek poets, talking about God in general. Now in the same way here, we're talking about a native heritage where you could actually quote to them things that they say about God the creator that are true of God, the one true God. So even, even you get that, even we get that. We, even we say that. And he goes on. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art and man's devising. In other words, these idols that they had made. Okay? Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That's the important part that you go, listen, God has overlooked the ignorance in which people have grown for him and tried to find him and found ways to worship. And look, they made idols. They did all these Gentiles. They didn't have the Bible, the Gentiles at this time, okay, these Greeks. God has overlooked a bunch of this. But right now, he's no more overlooking it because he sent Jesus Christ who died and rose again. And I am proclaiming that to you. That is the way that I would deal with sort of God worship that is not worship of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and salvation by grace through faith. And you have all kinds of it around here. You have essentially in the Northwest, you have a form of basically nature worship, like pantheism, like God is, is everything or is in, in everything, that type of a thing. And, and we, we could talk about God and then you talk about Jesus and they're like, yeah, 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 Jesus too. It's all part of it. But you actually have to say as a Christ follower, no, it's not. God isn't everything, nor is he in everything. That's not what the scripture says. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He died and he rose again. And you can have salvation from your sin by faith through grace, okay? And so that needs to be brought to the person who would consider themselves a God worshiper or a spiritual person, or in some cases around here, you have people who are basically nature worshipers, things like that. You need to bring to them, no, no, no. Jesus is not included in your pantheon of of the way you look at God, all that God is everything and so on. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And so that's the way that I would probably approach that. Okay, next. Um, How does the religion of Christianity differ from Roman Catholic? How would you recommend I handle a relationship where my significant other is Roman Catholic and I am Christian? Um, So I would not... Be Be careful. Okay, I'm putting a little filter right now between this and this. The way I not because I just want to say it. I would consider many Roman Catholics to be Christians. Okay, so I would not say Christian or Roman Catholic. I would probably say Protestant Christian and Roman Catholic Christian. And the reason I would put it that way is because there are lots of Baptists and Wesleyans and Methodists and whatever that are not Christians. Okay, so the the term Roman Catholic or the term Protestant is a term about sort of. Uh, different theological beliefs about different things and they it does not by itself that term determine whether or not somebody believes on jesus christ for life by grace through faith so there are catholics who believe that they have salvation in christ alone by grace through faith believe that that god raised jesus from the dead they're saved if they believe those things they're saved they may be wrong about a whole set of other things, including the way that they, uh, their theology of of Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, their theology on angels is a little funky, their theology on communion, in my opinion, is quite funky, if you ever, if you haven't taken orientation, the next time we do that, you should take that, I go kind of through all of that. They have a bunch of different things that I would say, their, their, their theology on the saints and praying to saints and things like that, a lot of those things I find to be incorrect, okay? But that doesn't mean that they're not saved. And so in terms of being in a relationship with a person, you'll see this lots. One person's a Protestant, one person's a Catholic. The way that I would be in a relationship as a a person who believes biblical Christianity um, without sort of a lot of the Roman Catholic stuff that's been added to that is that you prove the truth of your belief in the scripture by living it out and letting them see it. And so first, make sure they're saved because there are lots of Catholics who believe in a works-based salvation, who are Catholic because Catholic Catholicism is one of those things kind of like Judaism where you can kind of almost be born into it. Like I'm a Catholic because my parents were Catholic because their parents were Catholic and I did sort of the things and I go to church on Christmas and Easter and so I'm a Catholic. And it's like, but do you do anything that, that you know, are you, are you actually practicing? And it's like, well, I don't really practice, right? And so you have, you also have that with Baptists. You also have that with lots of people who would say, I'm a Christian. When you see these um, surveys that come out and you see like 85% of Christians think this thing and we're all like, what? How is that possible? Because a lot of people say they're Christian, but they haven't been to church in 17 years right? But culturally, they're a Christian, they're raised in a Christian home or whatever. So if you have a Catholic that's practicing, the way to draw them is not to get in a bunch of theological debates with them. The way to draw them is to show them that you care about the scripture, that you read the scripture, and that the scripture is transforming your life. That draws them to be interested in the scripture, right? You don't want to make it into a big battle between Catholicism and Protestantism. I, I do not recommend that. While I disagree with Catholics on many points of theology, I am not a Roman Catholic, First of all, I want to have a wife, so I'm out on that whole, like, you can't be married and be a priest thing. That ain't happening. Um, but the, beyond that, that, I also disagree with that. I disagree with, uh, with a, I mean, I disagree with a lot of things Catholics believe. I don't have time to go into it all, but there are Catholics who do love Jesus, absolutely love Jesus, and who believe that their salvation is by faith through grace, okay? Um, so, by grace through faith. So if that's true, they are saved, even though they're wrong about a lot of theological things. Just like I'm saved and I'm probably wrong about a few theological, no, I'm probably not. Just kidding. All right. Um, how do you know when you need to walk away from a relationship that is harming you? Do you have an obligation to keep being hurt? Uh, okay. No, you do not have an obligation to keep being hurt. Our obligation as Christ followers is a certain level of forbearance with people where we, where we forgive without having to have uh, the ceremony of forgiveness. Where we just let certain things go and we don't let people know our offenses. We also have an obligation to forgive those who harm us. We do not have an obligation to enable people to harm us or to put ourselves in positions to be harmed purposely. So if you're in a relationship and let me go through a few phases of this. If you're in a relationship where your spouse or your partner is harming you physically, you need to get out today, today. If you need help with that, get a hold of me, one of the elders, one of the pastors, one of the staff, let us know that you need help, get out today. That is, you should not be in that relationship. The the chances of that getting better without a whole lot of help are very low, okay? People who have become physically abusive will be physically abusive until they get the help they need, and they will not get the help they need while they still have the person they're abusing around, okay? So if you have that going on, get out. That's an easy call. The, the more common is you're being abused in a different kind of way. You know, you're being emotionally abused. You're being, you know, somebody's doing a lot of gaslighting and, and emotional abuse and, and the kind of thing where it, it hasn't come to physical abuse, but it's bad. In that scenario, I would also say you need to talk to one of our pastors, one of our elders, get some counsel because the best thing for you may be at least a temporary separation to get help for the person who's causing you that kind of harm. And it may be that you cannot be with that person anymore, okay? That you do need to leave them. So in terms of the question, do you have an obligation to sit here and be hurt? No. Other than the normal obligation we have as people, any relationship you're in, if you're in it for long enough, you're gonna get hurt. But when someone shows a pattern that they are going to hurt you, on purpose, this is what they do, this is their behavior, you do not have to be in that. You ought not to be in that, in fact. You know, the scripture talks about, look, if you're a believer and the other person's not a believer, but they'll live at peace with you, you should stay married. But there's an implication in the idea that the person is living at peace with you, okay? Because it's not peace with you to if someone's abusing you. That is not peace. And you do not do not, I don't think the Lord would say so. I don't think anyone would say so. You do not have an obligation to enable people to harm you. So if you were in that situation, you really should. Let us know, right, right on one of the cards, little, the little blue cards, just let us know. Hey, we, will somebody give me a call? I wanna talk about that. I wanna get more information on this. We do not, we, I will not allow the people in this church to abuse one another. And as, as your pastor, I do have authority, spiritual authority in your life to tell you right now, if you are abusing your spouse, stop. And I mean right now. Do not do it. Do not do it. Don't do it another day. Repent. Confess to the Lord, to your spouse, and do not do it another time. Because we will deal with that. And you do not want to be in a situation where you're no longer welcoming in Christ's church. You no longer have the protection of Christ's church because you refuse to live at peace with your spouse. Okay. It's a serious deal to me. It's a serious deal to every one of the elders here. It's a serious deal to all the pastors here. It's a serious deal. You do not have to allow yourself to be abused. That got real serious. <sighs> if you're a Christian, or as a Christian, should you pursue a relationship with someone who is not a Christian, not sure about God, or agnostic? So I am assume we're talking about romantic relationship leading towards marriage, and the answer is really simple. No, you should not you shouldn't. You should not be yoked together with an unbeliever. Okay. The scripture is very clear about that. And why is that? We talk about a yoke. And, and for those of you, if you've been to Honduras with us, by the way, I was supposed to say this Honduras meeting next week after this service, after the second service next week, if you're interested in a mission trip to Honduras with the church that we're looking at going on much later in the year this year, please be here for that meeting. It's informational. You're not signing up for anything by showing up. So be here at that meeting. Okay. When you go to Honduras, sometimes you will see oxen, and they'll have this big wooden yoke all across their necks. They use them to like it's crazy. It's so crazy because it's like 21st century and, and 19th century together. So you'll have the oxen, and behind them is like one of those big uh, uh, trash, you know, like the big green or blue trash uh, things, whatever you call those things, and they're dragging that thing. It's it's weird. So and then there'll be a guy with them with a cowboy hat, looks like from the century with an iPhone. So very interesting stuff. <laughs> but you've got this yoke and you've got it on these oxen now here's the problem if one ox wants to pull that way and one ox wants to pull that way which way are they going well probably whichever way the stronger ox is going but really they're going nowhere right they're going nowhere the only way they're going to get that thing behind them moved is if they're pulling in the same direction together well you have put your yoke on with christ my yoke is easy my burden is light you're going to go the way he's going when you get married, you are yoked to that unbeliever. If that person's unbeliever, they are stopping like this or they're going the other way while you are trying to go with Christ. They are a detriment to you. You are, not, you are not the same. As a believer, you have been redeemed, you have been made new, you are alive in Christ. That person is not redeemed, has not been made new, and is dead in the world. You know, what does light have to do with darkness? And I know some of those unbelievers you probably think are very attractive, Okay, for whatever reason. You really like them. they got a great personality. they got, they got a great face. they got a got whatever it is you like. Okay? You're like, man, if only they were a believer. Maybe I can get together with them and romanticize them into the kingdom. You can't. You can't. It doesn't work. Okay? I'm not saying no one's ever come to the Lord because of their believing spouse. They certainly have. Okay? But that is not the way to do it. And certainly as a Christ follower to go into it purposely when the Lord has told us not to be yoked with an unbeliever. You have a job and a duty. You need somebody supporting you. The most important person to support you in that is your spouse. Period. You need a spouse that is with you, cheering you on, helping prepare you to meet Jesus Christ. You can't get that from an unbeliever. They don't even understand it. These things are spiritually discerned. The unbeliever knows nothing about it. And so I know it's harsh because some of you may be in a relationship like that or want to be in a relationship like that, and I'm sorry, but the scripture is clear and wisdom is clear. You would be getting into a relationship in a position of weakness, and that is never a good thing. Many of you, men and women, have at some point in your life entered a a relationship in a position of weakness thinking, it'll get better. I'll fix it. That's exactly right. That laugh is exactly right. Does not happen, generally speaking. And so you do not yoke yourself to an unbeliever. People are mad now. I'll go to a church that tells me I can. Go ahead. No good church is going to tell you you should, okay? Um, I came back to the church, but my husband did not. He grew up Mormon and now refuses to come back to church. What do I do to get him to come back? Um, romance him back to the kingdom. Uh Again, I'm going to get a filter thing going here. Um, There's nothing that that you can do to bring a person who doesn't want to come to church to church. You can pray. You can ask. Don't nag. Don't nag. Nobody likes that. Ask, pray, and show. Again, this is just like the thing with Catholicism. Show that the scriptures and that your relationship with Jesus Christ are transforming you, and he will want to come. He will want to come. There's a guy named Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. He, he's written several books, but he was, a, he was an atheist. He was a, actually, I think he went to law school, and then he was a writer for a paper in Chicago. His wife becomes a believer, right? They were not believers, right? They're out partying, drinking, doing the whole thing, just living that life. She becomes a believer, and he's about to divorce her because she's, now she's going this direction, right? But... Her, the change that was happening to her was enough to put him in a place where he wanted to start investigating Christianity. And and he did, and he started investigating the resurrection, the claims, and so on. Came to believe in Jesus Christ, and is now an on-fire believer, has been for decades now. You have no idea how you might affect your spouse for the gospel by simply living it out. That is the best testimony you can do, and that's the person inside your home. That's the person who knows whether you're really being transformed or whether you're not being transformed, because no Mormon or unbeliever or anybody else is going to want to come to church that, that is not transforming you. Why would they think it would have anything for them? So that would be my thought on that. Where are we at? 11 through? Oh, we're good. We're good. Um. Good morning, David. I sometimes struggle with suicidal thoughts and not so great thoughts about myself. I was wondering if there is a certain part in the Bible you would recommend reading to help me through these thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. The first thing that I would go to when you're, when you're struggling with that is right at the beginning of the Bible where God declares that you were a person made in his image and likeness. Meaning no matter how you feel about your value, no matter how you feel about your value. And no matter what anyone else ever says to you about your value, God has declared you made in his image and likeness. So you should not harm yourself. It would, be, it would be a great evil for you to harm yourself because we love you. We care about you. But most importantly, God loves you more than any of us ever could and made you specifically in his image and likeness. So that's the first thing I would say. I would also go to Philippians if you guys want to go there, chapter four, and I'll put on my old person glasses. Star verse six, be anxious for nothing. Well, I'm going to need more than that. Because that's like, yeah, I have, I have personally have an anxiety disorder. And when that first started and you go to somebody and they go, well, just don't be anxious. You go, thanks. <laughs> well, that took, that took care of it. Why didn't I think of that, right? <laughs> but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so what are we called to do when we're anxious, when we're depressed, when we're in those places? First, we speak truth to ourselves. Okay. The world, uh, I wouldn't call it the world, the, the, the psychological profession that's something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Many of you may have dealt, if you've been in therapy ever before, you may have dealt with cognitive behavioral therapy, okay? This is, a, this is a fundamental thing that is used to deal with things like depression, anxiety, and so on. And all cognitive behavioral therapy is is replacing incorrect thoughts and lies from the devil, like I'm not valuable, I'm not worthwhile, and nothing's ever gonna get better, all lies, with truths. Like I'm made in the image of the likeness of God. God has a plan for me. He will begin a good work and you will be faithful to complete it, and so on. Right, And so you pray, prayer and supplication. You come to the Lord and you ask with thanksgiving, believing that he is going to take care of it. You let your request be made known to God. And then what does he promise when you do that? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you do this and you pray, I'm not saying it's an instant thing. Okay, it's not a Xanax, right? It's a, it's a practice When I feel this way, I go to the Lord. I let my request be made known to God. with supplication and thanksgiving. And what happens is he starts to build within you more and more trust for him. And the more trust you have for him, the more peace. And it's, it's the kind of peace that surpasses understanding. Meaning when people look at it, they go, how can you be so peaceful? That person just did this to you. Or you're going through that. How do you have this peace? And you go, it surpasses understanding. I don't know how. I just know that I have it from Jesus Christ. The next verse being important also, finally, brethren, brothers and sisters, listen, whatever things are true, okay, this is, this is the first step in cognitive behavioral therapy, replace the lies with the truth. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's what we meditate on. What should you be thinking about? Those things. So if your mind is going to other things, negative thoughts about yourself, you know, thoughts of suicide and so on. Now, the first thing is you do need to go and get a good Christian counselor immediately if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts. If you don't have one, let us know and we will find one for you, okay? You need to go to a good counselor because that's, obviously that's dangerous and you don't want to be in that situation. But as you, as you learn... The, you know, as you learn to think truth instead of life, as you learn to understand who you are. And let me just tell you, whoever wrote that thing, I promise you, I promise you, it's not true. You are loved. There is not a person sitting here or online that is not loved by God. There's not a person sitting here or online that is not important and that God does not have a plan for and whose life cannot be absolutely transformed. None of you have that. Believe that. Do not harm yourself. Do not harm yourself. God loves you. And focus on praying and then focus on those beautiful things, truth, things that are noble, excellent, praiseworthy. Focus on that. When when your mind starts to go towards, I'm not good enough, I think this about me, I think that, you immediately arrest that. And you go back and read Philippians 4, 8. And then for every word there, think of something that's true. Actually really true, meaning it's in the Bible. Think of something noble. Think of something excellent. Think of something praiseworthy. And do that. Do that. Do that. Until you recognize that the other thing is just thoughts. Mostly, by the way, with depression or anxiety, it's mostly stuff that's caused by your body, which is broken by the world, having all kinds of things that cause your brain to think things that are negative and untrue. Okay? It can be be an attack of Satan. It can also just be an attack of your broken body. And so do not believe it. Believe what's true. And if you need help, reach out to us. And we will recommend to you counselors and so on that can help you through this, okay? I love you, whoever that's. Let me pray for that person. Father, I just pray for that person, anyone else who's in that situation. God, these are your precious children. The idea that, that, you would, that you would ever desire for them to harm themselves, we know you would not. We know that you love them. I pray that your peace that surpasses understanding would just wash over. The person who wrote that question, anyone else who struggles with this, Lord, Lord, let us join together, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice, and be united in drawing closer to you. We love you so much, Jesus, and I know you love that person in your name. Amen. That wasn't the prayer for that. we <laughs> Whoopsie. You know, go ahead and stay up for a minute. I'll do one more while you guys are getting ready. Go ahead. I said I was prepared for that person. I didn't say I'm done. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, tithing, pre-tax or take-home income, dude. Just tithe. Don't ask me questions. Um, I, honestly, here's what I would say. People have asked me that before. Uh, I would say that that uh, the idea that God has put in the Scripture that, that, that's been there forever since before the law. You know, uh, you have Abraham giving a tenth to Melchizedek, who is God, um, is a, what we call a theophany. And so uh, the idea was always 10% of your increase. So not 10% of your increase after you pay your bills or after you pay your taxes, 10% of your increase. So you do with that with what you want. I'm not sitting here policing your tithing. Uh, ask the Lord in your heart, don't give out of anything other than the joy that you have in obeying and serving God whatever that is. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would probably say before anybody else takes their cut, God gets his. One more, what is an itching ear? So when your ears feel like kind of tingly and you want to scratch them, that's what an itching, no. Uh, first, uh, or second Timothy 4.3, let's look at it real quick. You feel awkward up here, Scott? Okay, good you feel awkward? Can you just walk back and forth right here while I talk about this? Well, now you're not gonna be able to take your notes because you left your Bible down there. Should have thought about that. Man, this Bible is getting older. All right, 2 Timothy four three. Here we go. <clears throat> For the time will come, When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What are itching ears? Well, I think that, obviously, through context, we can understand something, and that is that there's something that we all want to hear, right? Whoever said, can I be with an unbeliever, might have wanted to hear... Go do your thing. It's cool. Maybe not. Maybe they were asking that for a friend or something. But I've certainly asked questions like that. Lord, can I, am I allowed to do such and such? And had a pastor or whatever be like, no. But my ear was itching to hear yes, okay? So we all have itching ears at that, at, at that level, which is to say there's something we want to hear. Well, what has, what has happened in the world and what continues to happen more and more and more is that people in large groups, will no longer endure this. They will no longer endure the scripture. They they, they cannot hear it. They will not hear it. They're looking for somebody to take this and make it say something that it doesn't say because that's what their itching ears want to hear. And so you will find more and more what I would call, uh, or the scripture would call, apostate teachers out there. Uh, some of it's really obvious, some of the progressive Christianity where they deconstruct their faith and they really don't believe in the Bible at all. Some of it's more insidious where they just come up with these theologies that don't make sense from scripture and that are designed to make people feel better. So for instance, the health and wealth doctrine that you've probably heard of before, where essentially what I tell you is become a Christian. And if you have enough faith, everything will be good. You'll never be sick and you'll be really rich. Okay. That is this kind of doctrine. The kind of doctrine the itching ears want to hear. Who doesn't want to hear that? So I sign up there and then, I, and then I pick up my money on the way out? Or how does that work, right? Like they want to hear, people want to hear that. And so you see that doctrine with maintaining popularity, even though the teachers of it are the weirdest people that you've ever seen. Like they're on TV sometimes, right? And you're just like, how, why are you listening to it? I'll tell you why. They have itching ears, they want to hear that God is about making them healthy and wealthy and giving them comfort and giving them all this. When Jesus is actually saying, you have all of that forever, but you will face persecution. You will face difficult, difficulty. And if I went through sorrows, you will too. But it's all going to work out together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's the scripture. It is not become a Christian, get rich. That's the kind of thing. But there's all kinds of them. A lot of people, for instance, in the, uh, when it comes to sexual ethics, the LGBTQIA community, uh, there are a number of churches that are starting to say, look, we're just going to, we're just going to affirm all of that. going to get on board with all of that. Doesn't matter what God says from the first page of the Bible to the last about what he has designed and what humans, how humans flourish and what he wants for people and what's good for them. Doesn't matter what that says. We'll just pretend like it's all Okay. And now even the Pope has jumped on board, which is shocking to me, honestly, because Catholics actually were pretty strong in this area until really, really, really recently. But you're going to see more and more of that. Why? Because they can't handle the backlash. They can't handle people getting mad at them, so they give them what their itching ears want to hear. Now, would, would it be nice if we could just, whatever, whatever culture liked and whatever the world liked, wouldn't it be nice if we could agree with all that so they could all think we were nice and they could, they could love us? I guess but it's not what the scripture says, so we don't get to. You stand for something or you fall for anything, they say. And the fact is that some people fall for anything because they want to be popular, because they want to fill their churches with people. Some people will give people what their itching ears want to hear. And so that's what that means. And you will see more and more of it. And you got to ask yourself, am I agreeing with this because my itching ears wanna hurt, wanted to hear it? Or am I agreeing with it because it's true and it's in the word of God? That's always a question no matter who says it, whether it's me, one of the pastors up here, somebody you hear online, somebody, you know, somebody you're talking to, the question is, do I like what they're saying because my itching ears want to hear it? Or do I like what they're saying because it is true and in the word of God?